0: Welcome back to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I am Chris, go AU fur. With me this week we have U Street. Hey y'all. And Blake. Was well, cracking? Uh, before we get started on our normal stuff, Blake, uh, at this point do you think the Astros have this locked up or are the Dodgers coming back for another like 14 inning, 4am 4 ending type game?
1: I thought early, I mean, the, it was 5-0 early enough in the game that I thought the Dodgers were going to come back. But at this point, I just, I don't see it. They're not, they're coming close, they're leaving guys on base, but I think the Astros are going to lock it down. And it's just kind of a weird end to a, a crazy series that the last game is pretty boring blowout. So, But I think the Astros will win their first franchise World Series tonight.
0: Uh, could the Indians have come back from this deficit?
1: Uh, you know, that's just salt on the wound. I don't know. They couldn't, they, they had a 2 0 lead on the Yankees, and they blew that. So I don't, I don't know. I doubt they could have come back from 5 0. I doubt See, it. See, I,
0: I lulled you into a false sense of security. You thought we were done with the Indians, but you thought I was just bringing in baseball, and then boom, left hook. You,
1: you guys are not helping me in the morning process, okay? I'll just, I'll just say that. Dude, you're a Minnesota fan. You should have moved on by now. I mean I have but just when you, when you when you
0: you poke the wound
1: then just it just starts to to open up again so but I'm moving on I'm moving on
0: All right um hey you know it's Michigan week but you know as is our custom let's quickly kind of recap and close out on Iowa obviously Street and I kind of went to town on some takes uh in the great takes less filling podcast I mean weird that we would go takesing in a podcast that literally has takes in the name uh but let's let's get some final thoughts blake you want to start us off uh
1: really there's only two positives from the game first is that i thought the defense played really well obviously just harris is a freshman it's the first start of his college career and they kind of they obviously picked on him especially on the noah fan touchdown um but overall i've been impressed with rob smith um, defensive coordinator and the, and the performance that he's had this year especially when you consider how depleted that secondary is I mean they're missing their starting corners and starting safety and the safety is Anton Winfield the best defender on the field arguably so the fact that I, they're, I think they're top 25 in passing yards a lot per game um, so that that to me is is incredible considering what he's had to work with and that the fact they have zero depth in the second year on the defensive line. So, and the second positive thing was I was at the game and it wasn't as cold as I was expecting it to be. So, that was a positive. So, it wasn't the game, watching the game was not the most entertaining or fun experience, but at least it, I wasn't, you know, frozen solid in my seat either. So, you know, moving on, Floyd's unfortunately trapped in Iowa City for another year, but uh, you know, we'll try again next year.
0: Street, anything you want to throw out there? Do you have any fire left for, for an Iowa take or you're ready to move on to Michigan week?
2: I feel as if I effectively said everything I needed to say and great takes, less filling. You should go listen to that.
0: I think my, my recap uh, little bit is going to be, um, I think understandably folks, you know, Street, you're among them. Uh, felt like maybe we threw the ball a little too much. But for anyone who's going to use that as a Fleck and his staff don't know what they're doing points and then start pining for clays, I'm simply going to point out this uh, little bit of stats digging that I did today. In 2016, uh, last year's Iowa game, Minnesota ran the ball 57% of the time, rushed for a 4.4 average for 179 yards. Uh, Obviously, that means they passed 43% of the time for 4.6 yards attempt, and 142 yards total. Anyone want to take a guess? Did we run the ball more or less than we did last year? I'll, I'll take a guess. Street, Give me your guess.
2: We ran the ball more this season than we did last
0: season. You would be correct, my friend. We ran the ball 60% of the time this year, as opposed to 57% last year. Our rush per average uh, uh, per attempt was was worse. We only got 33 Um, uh, yards per attempt this year for 142 yards. Uh, Obviously that means we passed the ball 40% of the time, had a slightly better YPA with uh, 4.8 yards per attempt and slightly fewer yards, 139. But if your big takeaway from Iowa was, golly, we passed too much and we should have run the ball like the other staff would have, mm, you may not have paid attention to what the other staff was doing against Iowa. And it may also hey. suggest that the way to beat Iowa is to pass the ball if hey. multiple staffs are coming, coming to think that. Uh, sorry, Street, what are you thinking here?
2: Yeah, I'm just over here, just over here saying, hey. <laughs> question, <laughs> between, question between this season and last season. In this season, did we have more or less quarterbacks get concussed in the second half and then continue to be put in the game and continue to throw passes?
0: Well, my recollection would be fewer because nobody got concussed this year.
2: Interesting. That previous staff though. Offensive
0: geniuses. Shade. Throwing shade. Uh I mean, honestly, at this point, that's as much time as I want to spend on Iowa. I just Oh no, I'm sorry. I I do have one last final thought. No, I do. I I have a I have a take. Um folks may be aware that Brian Ferenc has officially been forced to apologize for what he said in the press box and outside the press box after halftime. For those who aren't really familiar with this, he said some choice words, uh, that were profane in nature. Um, and that some of which are frankly more than a little bit more than, more than just profane. There's some, some bad phrasing, uh, when it comes to being slightly homophobic, uh, in terms of some of his remarks. Uh, he since apologized, interesting note, his supervisor is not his father because that would be officially against the nepotism rules at the University of Iowa. So Gary Barda, the a d, his actual supervisor, has said he considers the matter closed at this point. Um, what I would like to call out is I think the funniest thing about this entire scenario is that he was upset about that replay call, the replay call that was blatantly done correctly, and that was blatantly accurate in terms of its outcome. Um, I mean, the ball was out. The whistle hadn't blown. The dude wasn't down. There was nothing to be upset about. I mean, besides the fact that, oh, it sucks that they, they actually called for the replay and it, you know had a chance to look at it. But there was nothing about that replay that was controversial. And Iowa fans and Brian Ferenc all seem pretty heated about the idea. And I'm just very confused because... It was like not even a not even a borderline call. It was just the whistle hadn't blown the ball was out. That's a fumble like that's the literal definition so uh this just leads me back to my my take that uh, Brian Ferenc is great for this rivalry because he's kind of a dumbass and he's a childish little baby, and it'll work out great for making fans on all sides hot and bothered and ready for some good rivalry hate and what more can you ask for really than? Somebody named Ferenc who manages to incite hatred rather than boredom. And with that, that's my take, my final take on Iowa. Chop, 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 Michigan. Let's move on to Michigan. Little Brown Jug, Jim Harbaugh, khaki pants, sleepovers in tree houses, uh, all sorts of great stuff. Blake, you want to get us going with uh, what you're gonna little preview of the actual Michigan preview that you're writing? Well, they're
1: six and two, but it's a pretty ho hum six and two, uh, three and two in the Big Ten. Um, obviously, Michigan fans are grown restless already because it's you know year three and they should have already won a national championship by now. And in, in the Jim Harbaugh era, um, they're probably not going to win the division this year. They've really the only two good teams they've played, they've lost. Uh, they lost 14-10 to Michigan State, and then I think they lost, They got blown out, I think, yeah, 42-13 um, by Penn State two weeks ago. Um, not a real high-scoring offense. That's been the the major problem. I think they're averaging less than um, 28 points a game. And the, the big problem with uh, their offense has been the quarterback position. I uh, say world-spacer, normal starter, and he suffered actually three broken vertebrae against Purdue in Week 4 and was out for the season after that. Although I've heard rumors that he might come back, but I doubt it. Um, his backup was John O'Corn, who's a senior transfer from Houston. Um, he really didn't do much of anything um, in place of Spate. And up until last week, he was a starter. And then they inserted fresh redshirt freshman um, Brandon Peters into the game. And he went against Rutgers. He went 10-14, 124 passing yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. So Obviously, Michigan fans are going wild because the backup quarterback came in and actually did fairly well. Granted, it was against Rutgers, but um, for all intents and purposes, he'll probably see the first start of his college career um, this Saturday against Minnesota. So we'll see. Um, obviously, didn't really get challenged by Rutgers, um, but we'll see how he fares against the Gophers. Um, they also don't have a, lot of, a ton of weapons at receiver. They had to replace their... Top three receivers last year, you may probably remember wide receivers, Amara Darbo, Jay Chess, and everyone's favorite tight end, Jake Butt. Uh, but they really haven't had many guys. Butt. To... <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, their top receiver is uh, Grant Perry. He's a junior. Only has 22 receptions, 285 receiving yards, one touchdown. Um, honestly, behind him, their best receivers have been freshmen. Um, except one of them, Tariq Black, uh, suffered a crack in his foot in the third game of the season. He's out. Um, then there's Donovan Peoples Jones, but you'll probably hear his name more on punt returns than in the actual passing game. Um they're for Jake Budd, his name's not nearly as cool. Um Sean McKeon, he's their second leading receiver, twenty 200 one interceptions, two hundred and twenty-three receiving yards. So really they just don't have a lot of explosive players um in the passing game that they've had in the past. Um they actually have a lot of good, they've got a good trio of running backs. Uh, they've got junior Karen Higdon, he's their best he's their best guy. He's got 604 rushing yards, 8 touchdowns. Then there's the senior, Ty Isaac, 548 rushing yards, 2 touchdowns. And sophomore, Chris Evans, who's got 298 and 2 touchdowns. So they've got, they've got good guys in the backfield. The problem's also been um, their offensive line. Through the first seven games of the season leading up to Rutgers last week, um, they're allowing an average of 7.3 tackles for loss per game and at least three sacks per game. Um, that's obviously not good, especially when you're trying to establish the run when you have a quarterback that's struggling. So, um, offense really hasn't clicked all year. Um, so that plays well, obviously in Minnesota's Minnesota she, uh, she performed well on defense. So, um, I like Minnesota's chances of keeping of their defense, keeping them in this game, um, because, honestly, looking at Michigan's defense against Minnesota's offense, uh, they're going to need to keep the Wolverines, Wolverines clamped down on offense. Because I'll be honest, I love Michigan's defense. This defense is ridiculous, especially their defensive front. Um, they've got two, guys, two ridiculous guys up front, defensive tackle Sean Geary. I think he's a sophomore. He's got 40 tackles, 7.5 tackles per loss, 3 sacks. Um, the other one is Maurice Hurst. He's a redshirt senior. He's got 40 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, um, 2.5 sacks. Hurst is actually, everyone seems to know Mashaun Gary, but Hurst is actually one of the best um, interior defensive linemen, both against the run and rushing the passer. So, And everyone knows that uh, Michigan's defensive coordinator, Don Brown, loves to blitz, but, I mean, he does so with a pretty ridiculous defensive front that can create pressure on its own. Um, with that said, though, he does have a really good linebacking crew. Um, their top two guys are um, Richard Sr. Mike McCray. Um He's supposed to be the, the leader of the, of the defense this year, but he's actually been kind of outplayed by um, a sophomore, Devin Bush Jr. He's actually the team leader in tackles, 67 tackles, 7.5 tackles for loss, five sacks. Um, you'll see a lot. I mean, all their linebackers have um, a good sack numbers, just because obviously by how much they dial up the blitz. But, uh and their linebackers are all athletic, too. They're gonna, you're going to see them flying all over the field. They swarm to the football. Um, so, really, that defensive front, it is going to be a huge test for Minnesota's offensive line. Because, I mean, we've seen you know how the struggles that Demery's had, uh, Demory Croft has had passing the ball. They need to be able to establish that run. But it's going to be extremely tough um, against this defense. I mean, the offensive line, too, struggled in pass protection last week against Iowa. Michigan's even better rushing the passer, so... That doesn't exactly bode well. Um if the if this defense does have a weakness, it's in the secondary. They're very young. They've got three sophomores. Um and their their only upperclassman um starter is at safety. That's junior Tyree Cannell. Um and they their big Achilles heel has been explosive plays. They gave up, I think, six passes uh, of at least 20 yards against Penn State, so they were gashed there. Unfortunately, I don't think Minnesota has the kind of playmakers to be able to stretch the field and um, get behind the defense like that. Um, I mean, other than Tyler Johnson, and they're obviously going to key on him. I just don't know that that's a weakness that Minnesota can exploit. And to be honest, yeah, it's going to come down to me being if they're going to be able to, you know, put some points against this defense, which is going to be really tough because this is a a really tough unit. I think they they rank. in the top 10 in pretty much every uh, defensive statistical category this is uh, an elite defense um but it's just going to come down to how well they fare against that defensive front. because if gerry's running for his life and they can't you know open up running lanes it's going to be a long day and they're going to lose you know like a 10-7 another 17-10 game so yeah we'll see what it holds i think it's going to be a defensive battle but uh, it's just going to see
0: which defense makes the first mistake so you're making me feel pretty confident that I'm going to get to kiss the jug when it's all said and done. I can tell you. <laughs> hey, we all hope so. That's that's the dream right there. I have I have some Jake Butt questions I need answered, uh, and I could use your help on this. Um, first question: are, We're pretty sure he graduated, right? Like he went pro, but he graduated college first.
1: I'm fairly certain, yeah, that he that he graduated as a senior and then went
0: pro. Okay. I'm gonna. We're gonna assume that's correct because that leads to my second question. Uh, if he graduated with honors, does that mean calling him a smart ass would be a compliment? I would think so. I mean,
1: he embraced that that Nick that last name. I mean, if you've seen his, I don't know if you've seen the photo with his family. They all had like um, butt jerseys and then like a descriptor in front of it, like smart butt, this butt, things like that. So I think hey, it's a term of endearment.
0: That's way more serious a response than my dad joke I thought was actually going to get. I, I assumed I was going to get groans and one of you was going to tell me to shut up and Blake's here with facts like people were wearing smart butt t-shirts.
2: Blake is too young to get a dad joke.
0: I'm a big fan of the butt family, okay? I'm actually trying to figure out now if Blake will have ever seen the South Park episode where that, they meet that one family where the, their heads are butts. I do not recall. Like, cause it's like season two, so this is like nineteen ninety eight South Park. Yeah, that
1: was back when I was seven years old. So, I'm sorry.
0: Go kill an Applebee's.
2: Can I read to you a fact from Wikipedia?
0: Sure, cause if we've if I'm if I'm making random dad jokes, random Wikipedia facts that I've not pre vetted. Sure, it sounds that perfect. Run with it.
2: Jonathan, Jake, Dwayne, Butt. Born July 11, 1995, is currently an American football tight end for the Denver Broncos of the National Football League. Many of his college teammates called him "the butt" because of his name.
1: That's the, Wikip- that's the Wikipedia dream right there—is to have that be the second line of your bio.
0: I thought we were—I was waiting for for more. Was that it? Yeah. Well, I mean,
2: here I got—I got. I got what, more what more do you need?
0: What more do you need?
2: it's it's strange to me that it the qualifier there is many so it wasn't his college nickname was the butt or fans called him the butt it was just many of his teammates what were the other nicknames for jake butt
1: and maybe some just refused to give him a nickname or call or objectify him as the butt
0: (laughs) We, we don't want to objectify you because of your last name I, I, don't, somehow I don't think that was the problem.
2: Maybe one of the defensive tackles was like, no, I have the best butt on this team.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to call you the butt because your butt, your actual butt's inferior to mine.
2: He won the John Mackey Award, given the top tight end in college football, and the Senior Class Award in 2016. So there's also Classy Butt just there for the taking.
0: Yeah, that's just such a tight end name. I got I got to say like he
2: was placed on he was placed on the reserve non-football injury list and the physically unable to perform list. So you could also say that he had a he was a not working butt.
0: Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I I wish his was, was his injury a, a fracture cuz then then there's butt crack jokes you can get to.
2: No, he's uh he's a torn butt. Specifically, his ACR.
0: <laughs> I think they make creams for that. Oh, that one landed with a thud. Okay, we're moving on.
2: Oh, I assume that's where you were going to put the nuclear hot take.
0: Oh, I can come up with some other. I, I I've already come up with some other sound effects.
2: Preparation H. Get comfortable with it.
0: I don't actually know. <laughs> we'll find we'll find out if that's true. But if I did, I, I put the line in. Um, okay. That's about enough of the butt talk, the Jake butt talk also, you know, cause he doesn't play for Minnesota. We eventually have to talk about some Minnesota related things here. I suppose a couple of us have been to the big house. I went, uh, in 2005 for the second of the back-to-back Mason collapses against Michigan. Um, I know that Blake was there in 2014 for the glorious victory. That was 2014. Andy, if he was here, would also get to talk about 2014. His view would be slightly different as he was in the press box that day and was furiously sending me text messages so that he could, you know, kind of find a way to be cheering without actually be cheering because he didn't want to get kicked out right before we we managed to win the jug. Um, Blake, talk about 2014. You have the exciting version, and then I'll talk about the slightly less exciting version from uh, 2005. Well, leading up to that game, I – I knew that Minnesota had only won
1: um, the jug once previously in my lifetime, um, so I wasn't you know, that confident. And then I think Michigan that year got shut out by Notre Dame. They lost like 31-0. And then a week before the Minnesota game, they lost 26-10 to Utah. And I think Minnesota must have been maybe 3-1 and at the time. Um, I started to get. I started to think maybe this is a possibility. You know, I, I knew I was going to be there for the Minnesota-Michigan game. So it's like maybe, you know, Minnesota might actually win this thing. Uh, and I think Mitch uh, Leidner had just he was out with injury, but he's going to be back for the Michigan game. Uh, this is obviously the David Cobb season. Um, so it's like you know this this could go well. So you know I was cautiously optimistic, um, and I got my ticket um, through a friend of mine who works in the athletic department of Michigan. So when I'm sitting there, I'm surrounded. By Michigan fans. I'm nowhere near the corner of the stadium where they had all the, the Minnesota fans gathered. Um, and I'll never forget this. Um, at the beginning of the game, this is when Michigan fans were losing their minds over Devin Gardner and they were pushing for a change. Um, as they're announcing this, the starting lineups um, on the video board, Shane Morris is announced as the starting quarterback and the stadium just this dangerous erupts um, in cheers. And then eventually later in the game, this kind of puts things in perspective, they would start cheering when he was pulled from the game and Devin Gardner was reinserted as quarterback. Um, that's how well the game went for Michigan and their fans. Um, it was just, a, it's honestly an incredible game to watch because I felt like they controlled the game most of the time. It was still, f- I felt f- the score was fairly close. You know, he kept waiting for Michigan to kind of flip the switch, but Mi- Minnesota pretty much um, kept their foot on the gas and kept Michigan where they, where they wanted them. Um, for me, the best moment was Devondre Campbell's pick six. Um, I think that put him up uh, two or three scores, and I was like, I, I was quietly celebrating because I was surrounded by these quiet Michigan fans. I'm not cocky or confident enough to just start up and screaming while surrounded in, uh, in enemy territory. But to me, that was the moment where I was like, Wow, I think they're actually going to win this thing. Um, and sure enough, once they they closed it out, they went and you know seized the jug. I'm like scrambling because my phone's got very little battery left. I want to get video of all this, and I figure out that I'm close to the corner where they seem to be like coming to meet up with the Minnesota fans. Um, and sure enough, I like hurry over there. I get to the, the main level where I can like kind of reach down, um, onto the field. And sure enough, Cedric Thompson comes around um, and starts taking the jug and like holding it up, um, to the side of the stands for fans, like touching, he's coming around and sure enough, I got to touch the jug, um, as Cedric Thompson was taking it around, which was pretty cool. Um, so it was just, uh, an incredible experience honestly one that I, when I was planning on going there I honestly didn't expect to to ever experience but yeah to see just the second go for victory over Michigan in my lifetime and to be able to touch the jug and be at the, it was my first experience at the Big House too which is actually a great stadium um, a lot of tradition there but yeah it was just overall an unbelievable experience um, I don't know if I'll ever be able to replicate it or, or beat it but um, it was just an awesome awesome place to be awesome game to see and just a great great memory for Gopher fans so Chris I know you had a little bit different experience but uh I'm glad we got to talk about the high first before we drop down to your uh low but
0: yeah before we do that there's two things that come to mind about the 2014 game the first is that it seems very Michigan fan-ish that they would also be managing to cheer for the removal of of Shane Morris when he's leaving because he's concussed. Right. Um, that 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 seems very Walmart Wolverine-ish and somehow fitting. Uh, the second being that I also have very fond members, memories of uh, Devondre Campbell's interception pick six because I was in Seattle visiting my brother, so I was streaming the game on my phone, on and off, because I couldn't stream the entire game where I'd kill my battery. Um, and we were at a brewery outside... And everybody else has, you know, no connection to this game, and that happens. And I'm like hooting and hollering, like look, and then I look around, and everyone's kind of just staring at me. And I'm like, "Yeah, Minnesota." <laughs> so that was that was fun. Uh, yeah, my my experience was a little less exciting. I, I'm sorry. I, I think I referenced it as 2005 earlier. Obviously, that's incorrect because 2005 is when Glenn Mason, uh, the Glenn Mason coach, Gophers won. Uh, the, the the jug in the big house. I'm I'm thinking of 2004, um, the fall uh, after I uh, graduated college, and so uh, first real job. Um, one of my friends at my first real job was a Michigan grad, and she um was able to hook me up with alumni tickets. So we stayed at her parents' place in East Lansing and headed over the game. And it's the seats turned out to be amazing. They were on the ten yard line they were behind literally the first row behind the Michigan band uh, on the 10 yard line, row 10 or 12 or something like that. And for so long in that game, it really felt like I was going to get to celebrate something amazing uh, and experience something amazing. And then, you know, the collapse happened. And the, the worst part of it all is I have some really fantastic photos from where we were sitting. And we were on the end where uh, for anyone who remembers that game, I, I hope you've purged most of it from your memory. But um, Minnesota, I, I, for the life of me at this point, I don't remember exactly how they got the ball first and ten on that ten yard line. I'm pretty sure it was uh, either a fumble recovery or a kick return. I honestly, for the life of me at this point, don't care one way or the other. But Minnesota was first and ten with their first first you know plays of the series happening starting on the ten yard line, and I have photos a whole series of photos before every play, because every play was going to be the play that we were going to seal this game with a touchdown and they're great photos. And all they signify is the inevitable march backwards. Cause I think they lost three yards on that series. Uh, and the kicking of a field goal that ultimately meant we came so close and yet nowhere, nowhere did we win. Um, that basically summed it up. And the really frustrating part was I had I had nice Michigan fans around me for the most part. Right next to me was this older dude. Like he had to be short dude too, like maybe five foot. Like I swear he was in his 80s. And he was pretty quiet most of the game. He'd give me a little ribbing, but after every stop on that possession, he would sit there and he would like jab me in the in in the rib cage and be like, eh, hey. Eh. Look at that! Look at that! Hey, hey! And uh, I was just like, I didn't know what to do because I was like, I've got a little eighty-year-old man punching me in my rib. Like, what? What the hell am I supposed to do with an eighty-year-old man punching me in my ribs? Um, in a in a, in a very ah uh, unexpected uh twist of uh small worldishness, it also turned out that the the pair of Minnesota fans I could see like two sections over in the corner of the end zone. Uh, it was actually Andy, Gopher Guy O five, uh, and one of his buddies who I knew from, from college. Um, and we didn't we had no idea that each other was going to be at the game. We hadn't really talked before this particular game. Uh and it turned out we were two sections away. And he had been getting on TV all day. Um and had been, you know, you know, getting uh text messages about having been on TV. And of course, of course he was excited that um, you know. They'd win and he'd be on TV and, uh, you know, so 2014, way better. Hopefully 2017 right up there. I would, I would gladly, gladly uh, get to touch the jug. That would be pretty sweet. Uh, But if not, I'm going to, I'm going to comfort myself by having experienced the joys of Ann Arbor's food scene uh, in advance. Now that it's a night game, there's plenty of time to get up there uh, and, uh, you know, eat some, I'm led to believe their downtown has some deliciousness. I don't really remember. I didn't do anything crazy um, when I was there in '04. But this time I'm hoping to check uh, check out the world-famous Crazy Jim's Blimpy Burger, which uh, I'm led to believe has a very specific ordering set of rules. Like you have to order a certain way or you get mocked mercilessly. I can only imagine how horrible that would be when I'm wearing my Zubas. So. Looking forward to ordering Crazy Jim's Blimpy Burgers the correct way and eating the delicious. Stuff. That's what I've got to look forward to this weekend. Sorry, I'm pulling up the pulling up the um, agenda. I'm blanking. Cut, cut, cut. All right. Before we get to questions uh, or volleyball. Um, All right. Sorry. All right. Before we move on to question time, let's uh, quickly talk about basketball, because amazingly enough, basketball season's here. Like, I mean, isn't our first our first exhibition games tomorrow, right? I think so. Wait, Street, you're the basketball writer on this podcast. How do you not have a specific answer related to when our first exhibition game is?
2: Yeah, man, it's an exhibition game. I don't care. The one that they should go to, if you're talking about exhibition games, is the one that's going to be taking place on the November 5th at the PAV, where Minnesota will take on Wisconsin Green Bay. Every single ticket that is being sold, all of the proceeds, all 100%, are going to Hurricane Relief in Puerto Rico. On top of that, Richard Patino. The head coach of your University of Minnesota men's basketball team has pledged to donate $1 for every ticket that is being sold as well. So in this case, pack the PAV, do it for hurricane relief, and watch a team that should be pretty dang good this year.
0: Why are they in the PAV, by the way?
2: I would assume that Williams Arena is busy. I don't know. Maybe Mark Coyle had to have a donor thing.
0: I, I mean... I'm struggling to find out what Williams arena is supposed to be used for, other than i mean I know it's used for many other things that's not what I'm trying to say, but in the hierarchy of things that happen, one would think the primary tenant of said basketball arena would you know take precedence
2: It's possible that women's basketball has an exhibition on the fifth, which would be a perfectly reasonable
0: that would be an extremely reasonable reason. I sort—I certainly hope that's the reason. Otherwise, I'm just going to have a a perpetual thinking face emoji thing going on as I ponder. Like alternate, like a a, a, same night as a women's basketball game. Totally reasonable reason for the men to be in the pav. Anything else, less reasonable. Agreed. We could check this detail. There's nothing on the schedule until the 11th for women's basketball. I just checked. If it. If it's a career fair, then we've officially become Penn State, and, I, uh, and I'm and i ashamed for us. I hope it's a career fair. Penn State basketball once got shoved out of their arena and had to play, like, an exhibition game in their shitty rec center because of a career fair.
2: We are talking to recruiters.
0: Yeah, I'm missing a couple details there. Like, I'm pretty sure some of that's wrong, but I do know that there was a whole situation like five years ago when their team was not able to use their arena at a time they really needed to use their arena because of some something of the level of a career fair.
1: Hey, it's for the people who want to go pro in something other than sports. That's what college is all about, am I right?
0: In this instance, no, I'm not willing to give the rational response. <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> Your perfectly reasonable statement has been met by silence because in this instance I do not want to keep that it. Today. Let's talk about basketball street. I mean, we're getting some pretty high rankings. I, I'm I'm beginning to feel like I might be alone on the island of maybe let's not get too excited about that because maybe those rankings are too high. Like for me, I, I keep I look at the Ken Palm preseason and he's got us at uh, I want to say thirty six or thirty four or thirty eight, somewhere in the thirties. And you know preseason rankings from a from a math perspective, you know always have some uh, you know not I, I don't want to say somebody who's as well versed in what he does as Ken anything he does is suspect. But preseason there's always a set of assumptions built into preseason metrics like that that you have to you, you take them with a grain of salt. That said, when the guy who does the math for a living is looking at you as a mid thirties team to start the year and all the human eyeball test people are coming in with 15 and that kind of a, a number makes me feel like maybe we should be leaning more towards, you know, starting the year with expectations set off the math and less off the eyeballs. Uh, where do you come down on all that? How are you feeling about seeing the Gophers rank pretty highly to start the year?
2: I wouldn't say that you're alone on that island, or maybe it's just that both of us are the only people on the island in a weird Castaway 2 sequel.
0: Is that the one where we work for uh, DHL instead of FedEx?
2: Yeah, it's the one where instead of having a volleyball, we have Wilson be a basketball. It's basically the same movie, but without all the Oscar noms.
0: So you mean Spalding.
2: (laughs) Yes, Spalding. The Gophers come in right now. They're 15th in both the AP and the USA Today polls. That's probably too high. I think it's fair to say two things. One, their starting lineup is good enough to play with anybody in the country. And I really do mean anyone in the country. Their bench is most certainly not capable of playing with anyone in the country. And at some point, people in the starting lineup are going to have to take a break. And that, to me, is why they are currently rated much too high.
0: Would you feel differently if Eric Curry was not injured?
2: I'd probably feel more comfortable with a top 15 ranking. I still think it's probably a little bit too high. And one of the things that is sort of worrisome is if they lose a game in the preseason, particularly if they lose one in sort of a crushing fashion, that our fan base is predictably going to lose its mind because they were supposed to be so good in all of the hype. It's almost as if this is not unique to football. But I think if Eric Curry was playing, I would feel more comfortable about the bench, especially because I thought he would make a fairly large jump between his freshman and his sophomore seasons. Right now, the other challenge with the bench is there's just so much unknown there. The stuff that you know, Bakari Kanate coming back, he'll give you 10 effort minutes at the center position. A bunch of Gopher fans will declare that he never should have gotten a scholarship. I will put my head in my hands in shame. All of that's sort of known. But it's unclear how good Devontae Fitzgerald will be if he's going to be any good at all. It's unclear what kind of jump, if any, Michael Hurts made. It's unclear if Gaston Jeju will ever see a basketball court. We don't know that much about Jameer Harris at the college level. We don't know anything yet about Isaiah Washington at the college level. Based on the scrimmage they had between The maroon team and the gold team last week, as well as the secret scrimmage that is, of course, announced on Twitter, against Creighton, Isaiah Washington's going to be pretty good. But we don't actually know any of that because we haven't seen it against real competition until they get through the preseason. I think suggesting that this team is what would, in essence, be a four seed or better in the NCAA tournament is a bit premature.
0: Could there be anything more magical than Isaiah Washington actually turning out and executing the kind of uh, New York flair moves that he's got, all that jelly? and doing it against Wisconsin to like down, so like games tied and he jellies to win the game. Would there be anything more magical than that? I I, I just feel like Wisconsin fans would like just literally their heads would explode if that happened.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I can think of anything more magical as a side note. Apparently the first time he tried a jelly, it was blocked and Patino laughed and was so pleased about that.
0: Yeah, I saw that, too, and I can totally see that being his uh, his reaction because, like, as awesome as those moves are uh, at times, you know he's going to pull it. You know he's going to pull it in games at some really inopportune moments and just get, get hit, get absolutely just block partied. For sure,
2: The problem with the jelly, if I compare it to what is, in terms of things I've seen in person, the coolest thing, is the jelly is not like the in-game 360 dunk which Rodney Williams could pull off. And that was legitimately amazing. When I watched it happen live, the opposing team just immediately took a timeout. I don't think the jelly is going to get that sort of reaction.
0: It might not get that sort of reaction, but I... I, I don't view it as a as an impressive play so much as it's just a fun play. Like when it's executed properly, it's just it's just fun to watch, and that's what I like about him is he's just fun to watch. Um, he's I think he's. I think Tom has has said this in various forums. I think he's going to be maddening to watch at times. As a as a young player, um, I think he's going to make some mistakes that's going to that'll make us pull our hair out. Uh, but I'm mostly just there for the fun. I think he's gonna he's gonna bring some some excitement uh, that you know of a style that we're not used to seeing in Minnesota.
2: One of the things that is definitely going to be true this season is that having a player like Isaiah Washington being able to spell Nate Mason is going to be huge. I've said this in other forums, but it really does bear repeating. Nate Mason basically played the entire year without a real backup. And I think a lot of the little injuries that he got at the end of the season were in part due to that. He was fatigued, he was playing really hard, and he didn't get the necessary rest early in the season. Even in games where he should have been rested more, they just didn't have that ability to do so. Isaiah Washington now gives them that ability. Furthermore, Isaiah Washington, in a pick-and-roll situation, looks deadly already. That's going to be a lot of fun especially if the Gophers can find one shooter to sit in the corner. Just one. I don't care who it is. Just one. Because having Isaiah Washington do a pick and roll with either Jordan Murphy or Reggie Lynch with some dude sitting in the corner is going to be very hard to defend.
0: You know, to be honest with you, depending on how it works, um, there might be times when Washington isn't the guy on the, the pick and roll. He could be the dude sitting in the corner.
2: Yeah, but he's apparently a pretty good three-point shooter. We, of course, that's haven't talked about the guy who I actually think is really going to determine whether or not the Gophers are a four-seed or better or not, which is Amir Coffey, who also apparently has gotten a bit better at shooting the three in the offseason.
0: Well, that's happy-sounding.
2: And super happy-sounding. Now, admittedly, every single player in the history of time has made significant strides in the offseason. There has never been a player who has gotten worse during the off season.
0: I beg to differ.
2: Are you are you suggesting are you suggesting that your personal college basketball experience led to led to worse outcomes in the off season?
0: I mean, I wouldn't say I got worse, but it's possible I may have gotten worse one year. <laughs> or or that my improvement was so insignificant as to masquerade as getting worse because I was simply more out of shape one year than I was the previous year. That's actually, between my freshman and sophomore years, that's probably a better uh, description. It's not that I got worse. It's that I got fatter and lazier in my offseason. <laughs> and I came back more out of shape. And it took me longer to get back the level I needed to be at to be successful. And by successful, I mean like the ninth man off the bench.
2: Well, fortunately for us, that does not seem to have been true of Amir Coffey. And really from a potential perspective, you're talking about a dude who's 6'8", who is the best passer on the team, who could easily be playing point guard, who will play the three, who is a matchup nightmare in that most of the time, the person who is guarding him is either going to be much slower than he is or much shorter than he is. And when they're much shorter than he is, one of the things I hope we see again extensively this season is what happened in the St. John's game last season, where they just said, I'm going to put you on the block and let you go to work. However, if he has improved his three-point shot, and really we're talking like four or five percentage points here, Richard Pitino's offense absolutely requires there be someone on the court at all times who can go from anywhere bombing from three-land. You need that player. One of the reasons why Akeem Springs was so important to this team last year, not only because of his defense, was because he could be that guy. Petino's first season with Malik Smith, who would have the incredible games and would shoot his way into a game and would also shoot us out of a game. If Amir Coffey can be the former of that, and in, we need a three-point shot, give it to Amir, this team is going to be very good. As I said previously, their starting five can play with. Anybody in college basketball. And their limit for a team, either actually competing for a Big Ten championship, making a deep run into the NCAA tournament, I think will ultimately come down to how much has he improved from his freshman to his sophomore season. In part because every other player in that starting five, basically, you know what you're going to get out of them. We hope Reggie Lynch and Jordan Murphy foul less, but they're solid players. We know what their skill sets are. Hopefully, Nate Mason can continue to improve on his all-Big Ten point guard play last season. But he's going to be a very steady hand. He's going to make shots. But Nate Mason is not the kind of player who is going to be electrifying in the way that Amir Coffey can be electrifying. And I think Amir Coffey, to me, is the only player on this team who I legitimately could say, yeah, I could see that dude in the NBA. If you get that kind of player playing to his potential, this is going to be a very fun season.
0: I vote for the fun season. Let's have that. All right. Question time. Question time, as you all know, is the bit where we don't have a name and you're supposed to give us one in the comments, but you all fail us utterly every week. And so it is only called question time. Question number one. What is your favorite rivalry trophy and why? Quick.
1: I'd probably have to go with Floyd on this one. Um, I mean, I love the jug. Uh, I love, wish we had the ax more than we do right now. Um, but I guess just growing up in Iowa um, and that ride away with the Hawkeyes, that, that's the one that's most personal to me. And there's just something about at the end of a football game, one team taking home a pig, even if it's not a real pig, but a bronze pig. Um, that just, to me, is the epitome of college football. And, like, being, playing in the Big Ten, it's just that kind of ridiculousness. and So that's probably my favorite is the of Rosedale.
2: Street? The axe is my favorite trophy in college football. It's the best trophy in college football, too. I do agree with Blake that Floyd is legitimately great, though I do not share the personal connection because I did not grow up in a wasteland. The axe, on the other hand, is not only just as a trophy really great, like a big old axe is a good thing to play for, in part because we haven't won it in a while, I think there is an extra desire, and if you want something, you're going to evaluate it as an even greater thing than it may be otherwise.
0: I, I kind of put my full trophy rankings in with one of the q as I did with uh, Go Iowa Awesome last week, um, and, and I realized as I was kind of writing it out that I had some very interesting relationships for how I feel about these trophies. I have to go with Floyd as my number one because I think as a trophy itself, it is the best of the trophies. Um and it also has a really good backstory. I think for me, the axe, I hate Wisconsin more than I hate Iowa, and I do love the axe as a trophy, but somehow I think the fact that it's A not not as quite as long standing as Floyd and B just somehow the the pig is just cooler to me. Uh it's a very close second. Um I think the the axe in some part of my mind is forever tarnished by the fact that it's a replacement trophy for the real trophy, which albeit kind of lame, the slab of bacon has a great name. Otherwise, you know, indistinguishable from a you know regular piece of wood. Um, the fact that Wisconsin stole that thing and refuses to give it back is uh, just kind of it. It finds a way to tarnish the axe a little bit for me. The jug is great in, in so many ways. A jug might actually have the best story. But we never, ever see the dumb thing. And, you know, it's still not as cool as an axe or uh, a pig. The The chair actually, the, I hem and haw about, I think the chair actually becomes my number three. Um, but that's only because it's got a fun story and, you know, it's new and stuff. And then uh, what's the, we have a shop class thing we play for. I don't know its name. And it gets broken. And I think it's made of balsa wood. So there's it's out there. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Pig. Pig is number one for me. All right, uh, question number two. Will Jim Harbaugh ever beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten? If so, how soon? Street?
2: Yes, he'll do both of those next year. Blake?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with JT Barrett graduating after this year, it always seems like when Ohio State transitions quarterbacks, that's when they're they're most vulnerable. Um, I definitely did not expect him to be struggling this much in year three. As much as you can struggle as a six and two team, um, other than they just got blown out by Penn State and the offense just hasn't clicked all season. But I think if he's going to um I think it'll be next year. Um hopefully they'll have their quarterback situation filled out. They've got not enough youth uh on the defense side of the ball that'll be solid again. But yeah, I think he beats Ohio State next year, but I don't think he wins the Big Ten next year. I'll say that. I I think if he's going to win the Big Ten, it's going to be I honestly don't know. Uh, it's just Iowa State's at the top consistently every year, and it's just hard to predict when they'll be done. Penn State's up there now, hanging out with them. Um, Wisconsin just cakewalks into the Big Twelve or Big Ten championship, but they're not going to win it. So I don't know. I, 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 I I don't foresee him winning the Big Ten in the near future, to be perfectly honest with you.
0: Yeah, for me, I've said this on so many different platforms at this point, but uh, I am 100% here for Jim Harbaugh becoming uh, Michigan's uh, John Cooper. I I just – obviously, I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but the dude – He's just starting off in in a way where that just I I I, vis, I visualize that happening and it just makes me happy, makes me smile, makes me laugh. Uh, so I am I am one hundred percent there for him becoming John Cooper, uh, but only in, in Ann Arbor. I guess as far as when does when do I see him winning the Big Ten? Because John Cooper did actually manage to beat Michigan, you know, uh, twice out of thirteen seasons. Um. Or 11 seasons, I'm sorry. Uh, when would that be? When would he get his first win? I would much, maybe next year, I guess. But I would rather it be in like seven years, like year seven. Because Michigan fans would just be so angry. So angry by then. And it would just be glorious. And it would be wonderful. I spend. I, it's not like I'm a huge Ohio State guy and Ohio State fans annoy me and I'm around too many of them. But I'm here for, for Michigan just sucking for a while when it comes to the game and, and having to deal with that. So that's how I feel about it. Um, all right, question three is actually uh, kind of a weird one. We've, we've tried to come up with a, a little mad libs here. Um, Fleck and Harbaugh are often compared to each other. They both have a rather manic energy at times. Um, and they're both, uh, they can kind of say some weird, weird stuff. So we, we tried to come up with a, a little game we could play related to Harbaugh and Fleck. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of, the, the general idea here is I'm, who would be more likely to do blank and I'm going to fill in the blank with some random stuff. And I'm just going to say if uh, street and Blake are feeling Harbaugh would be more likely to do this random thing. Or if Fleck would be more likely to do this random thing. Uh, we're going to start it first and foremost with something near and dear to my heart. Which one of the two coaches would be more likely to wear Zubas? And we'll start with Street.
2: PJ Fleck. Why? PJ definitely owns a pair of Zubas, but they're fashionable designer Zubas, like something that Kanye West would design and then show in a fashion
0: show. So so hold up, I want to I want to clarify if they're fashionable designer Zubas, then they're just regular Zubas.
2: Yeah, but I'm saying he would describe them as like fashionable leisure jogging
0: pants. Yes, but that's implied by Zubas.
2: Yeah, it's definitely PJ though. I don't think Jim Harbaugh has any pants that are not khakis you can buy at Target, which is not a bad thing, to be clear. I just think he knows his wardrobe, he knows what looks good on him, and that's all he does.
0: Blake, your
1: thoughts? I mean, it's 100% fleck. Harbaugh's never going to not wear khakis. I mean, that's that's part of his, I feel like, ingrained in his physical appearance and personality. He's just the khaki guy. That's never going to change.
0: Which of the two coaches could you more – if he was still alive, which of the two coaches would most likely be friends with Prince?
2: Jim Harbaugh. Not even close, actually. Prince was an amazingly weird dude, and I think he and Jim Harbaugh would understand each other on a deep emotional level.
1: I have to agree. I could just see Harbaugh bringing Prince in for like a pregame speech and it just being the most awkward, weird thing you've ever seen and it'd be it seemed to, totally in sync with harbaugh
0: I, I I have to agree i I didn't really feel differently and I assumed I'd get that response especially from from uh our our noted prince enthusiast uh street but um yeah you're right that he would he would find a way to turn purple rain into some sort of like inspirational uh speech to his guys and prince would like appear out of a purple haze at the end of the locker room and you know make it into some weird like transcendent moment in college football history. That's the thing with Jim Harbaugh, like I wanna like him. He's weird enough where I want to like him. He's just such a jackass. (laughs) Which frankly is flecked to everybody else. So I mean I mean I gotta be I gotta be cognizant of that fact. But Except, I don't think people want to like Fleck. I think Fleck pisses off a lot of people and they don't want to like him. Whereas, like, Harbaugh is just weird enough in a way where I kind of want to like him. But then he just keeps wearing those stupid glasses and throwing his hat. And that's, I just can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. All right. Which of the two coaches would be most likely to profess an, a, a love of SpaghettiOs? I'd go with
1: Harbaugh again. Jesus it seems like the kind of thing that, he wouldn't think it's out of the ordinary or a big deal, but say, hey, I love SpaghettiOs. You know, it, With Fleck, it had, there would be some kind of motivational aspect to it, like the geese that he talked about being around the facility. There's got to be some aspect of the, of the confession that it relates to motivation or, or service. And with Harbaugh, it's just like,
0: yeah, I like SpaghettiOs. See, I disagree. I think Fleck would like admit to liking SpaghettiOs because his kids like SpaghettiOs.
1: Uh, that's also true. I could see that. Like,
0: I could see Fleck just having a whole conversation about SpaghettiOs just because one of his kids really likes them.
2: I actually kind of think that the coaching preseason thing on the field will probably be related to some kind of canned good.
1: Do you think there'll be an exchange of canned goods between the two coaches? That'd be kind of cool.
2: I mean, I think there'll be like a recipe exchange of canned goods. Like a super great way to make Chef Boyardee. I could totally see that happening.
0: I'm now see now I have this picture of Harbaugh in my head with like a chef's hat like I'm now I'm picturing Harbaugh as like the the Swedish chef from the Muppets like doing a cooking show where he's there with the Swedish chef from the Muppets (laughs) that's what I picture with Harbaugh I picture with Harbaugh showing up with the Muppets or doing Sesame Street or some weird off the wall non-college coach shit like that that's what I picture Harbaugh doing Oh God, I can get back to hating him on Saturday. Right now I'm just, I'm just picturing going, that's, that's what I've got. All right. We've officially, now that, now that we've got me going her to her to her, uh, that, that, that is usually the sign that we have reached the end of the Sky You podcast. Uh, thanks again for listening. Um, I'm seeing in the Slack chat that I have skipped predictions. Uh, so, now that I've told everyone we're ending the podcast, we're going to go back and do predictions because, you know, hey, why not? Predictions for Saturday, U Street.
2: The Gophers are going to lose. It's going to be a slap fight. Michigan, oh, seventeen. Go for zero.
1: Blake. God, I hope it's not 17-0. I think it'll be 17-14 Michigan. I just think it's going to be a matter of which defense springs the least amount of leaks. And as we saw against Iowa, Minnesota is occasionally going to get beat just because of depth issues. So I think in the end, Michigan's going to be three points better.
0: Uh, I kind of feel like it's going to go the way of the Purdue-Michigan game. Um, Close and then not close at the end. So I'm going to go with a like a 24-10 Michigan win, but with a th- score at the end of the third quarter more like in the 14-10 range, kind of a kind of a thing that feels that feels more right to me. So uh, the Fighting Swedish Chefs um, from the University of Michigan uh, beating the um, Golden Gopher Spaghettios uh, 24 to 24 to 10 seems about right. Is there anything else I'm forgetting, guys? Have I, have I met your standards now that you've mocked me in the Slack chat quietly that nobody can see? I just think I'm a little disappointed you missed last week.
1: I didn't think there'd be that much of a drop-off, but it uh, looks like we're going to have to do some work um, during the week and practice to get you ready for next week. So uh, we'll give you a pass for now, but next week I expect you to change your best.
0: <laughs> All right. We've made, it, we've made it to the end of another SkyU podcast. Thanks again for listening. Go Gophers. Skyuma. Row the boat.